Would you pray with me? God, help us to realize the truth of that statement this morning. Now that you have imparted to us your nature through this wonderful sacrament, please impart to us your word so that we can understand the depths of the joy that is ours, the redemption of the merriment that is ours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as you know, we are, we're talking about how to live out our faith, be salt and light, how to minister in what I call the majority world. Some people call that the real world. Um, to me, the real world is the one that lasts forever. So this is the real world. But that's the majority world. That's the world uh, uh, of the majority of populace uh, that lives and dies in a physical reality. Um, and that is the the place where we live a majority of our lives. And so in order to be uh, equipped for ministry, we've got to talk about the realms uh, of life out there and be prepared for those. And we've talked about what it is to minister in our family and what it is to minister at work and, and what it is to be a minister to our friends. And, and now we're in the realm of leisure because we do have leisure time. Everyone has leisure time. And we've talked about some of the major components that most Americans spend their time, including us, and we've talked about sports. And now we're going to talk about entertainment. Now, I'm sure you've never heard, um, well, probably not too many sermons anyhow on entertainment um, in the church except to condemn all forms of entertainment. Uh, well, we'll get there, uh, but uh, no. We'll, 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 we'll talk um, hopefully um, discerningly about different forms of entertainment. But entertainment is one of those things that God gives us just a glimpse of an outside reality that is an inside desire. And because those two are linked, because there's an outside manifestation of an inward desire, that's where you gotta, we've got to be very careful. Uh, but yet entertainment is okay, and merriment is okay, and fun is okay. So you see, God doesn't speak, uh, as, my, as my Indian brother Vernon Rainwater would say, <laughs> White man speak with forked tongue. No, uh, God doesn't speak with a forked tongue. God doesn't make a, a, a world that is evil out there and a world that is great in here. God makes a world that bears his image. And therefore, that which is of uh, the, the, the majority world can help us picture the everlasting world. Uh, it's okay to laugh. You don't have to make laughter into something holy. By the way, for those of you who are followers of Rodney Howard Brown, there is no biblical basis for holy laughter. Laughter is okay by itself. It's okay. You don't have to make it into some big spiritual event here. Um, laughter in itself has, have, has uh, uh, renewing qualities, and therefore it's okay for all Christians to laugh. Uh, you don't have to make it into a denominational or a special event. Um, as a matter of fact, if you turn, if you turn with me uh, to uh, 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 Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. Proverbs is one of those books that you kind of read like the dictionary uh, that keeps switching plot, plots, but every, every little couplet is, is, is uh, a great definition on its own, or every, every few couplets. And so we have here just a general statement of the 
benefits of laughter, of the benefits of merriment. It says this, Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine. Um, the, the Hebrew literally says causes good healing. I like that better than good medicine. Let me tell you why. Medicine implies a, an external chemical intervention. Um, and the kind of healing that we're going to talk about this morning comes from he who lives in your heart. That's why you have a joyful heart. So it's not external, it's not chemical. Uh, it's, it's, it's some, it, it, it is Jesus Christ who lives in our heart and gives us reason for that joy. It's a response to a living God. So it says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Now there is a physiological benefit to laughter. And most of you, many of you know this. Basically, laughter does three things for us. First of all, it cuts short the, the body's reaction to stress. There is, a, there is a defensive reaction to stress that we have that taken to a regular and certain extent can damage us. And so laughter cuts that short. It kind of says, ease up, you know, ease on down the road. Number two, it releases the, the body's natural painkillers literally, physically, the endorphins and the other natural painkillers we have. But number three, it also promotes the manufacture of two types of lymphocytes. Lymphocytes are those things which attack diseases in the body. There are T cells, which come from the thymus, and there are B cells, which come from the bones. Exactly. And so when it says that a broken spirit dries up the bones, it means that when we are depressed and discouraged for an extended period of time, our bodies literally have less arsenal to fight disease. So therefore, there's a physiological benefit to merriment. But there's also a perspectival benefit. That is, it gives you what you need to have a psychological and emotional advantage in this world. You know, we were taught in Psych 101, all of us that took Psych 101, that the basic response to threats are two, fight or flight. I would like to give you a third one this morning. It's the biblical response. You see, there is a, uh, the, the, the word humor comes from the Latin deriv der word, derivative, umar. And umar means fluid. Umar <laughs> means flexible. And, and, and what humor does is it gives us transcendence without giving us distance. That is, we don't need to stay in there and fight all the time. We can be above and we can have a different kind of perspective. It helps us to take the world as it comes and not have to fight everything. Now, we're, we, we've got to admit here, we are combative people. When somebody comes against us or we feel some sort of threat, our first response is to get them back. We're, we just get angry. A lot of people live their life angry. They get out of bed angry. That's their motivation. That's what they do. But, but, but it's not, I mean, even when you're humorous when you're angry, it still takes its toll on you. It's not a very pleasant way to live for you or anybody else. It can be funny sometimes. I, I love the story about uh, 
Lady Astor and Winston Churchill. Lady Astor, this is a true story, had this thing. She did not like Winston Churchill because she did not count him a gentleman. She counted him profane. And in like manner, you know, he was kind of a combative character himself. He didn't think much of her. So every time they got together, there was a, in some social event, there's kind of a tete-a-tete going on. And one time, literally, Lady Astor looked at him. She was in a conversation, looked at him and said, if I were your wife, I would poison your coffee. And he didn't miss a beat. He looked at her and said, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we got this thing going, you know. We're confronted, boy, we just want to fire right back. And, 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 and there's this, and the, and the other response, not, not only fight, but the flight, you know, just trying to, to, to get away and run away. And, and, but, we, but we've got to realize even in that, we still stay mad. I, I, I love the, I love the uh, you've, heard the, you've heard the kind of a, the Christianese, uh, you know, never criticize someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. I love click and clack. NPR, I, I listen to those little car talk guys, whatever their names are. And because uh, I, I love to listen to them. And, uh, and uh, um, they have their own version of this. They say, never criticize a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes. Then you can criticize him because you're like a mile away and you've got his shoes. You know? <laughs> but the point is, See, distance doesn't work because you can get away. You're still man. You still carry it with you. It's just not. No, what works is flexibility. You've got, you've got to realize that, that you can't spend all your life fighting against the enemy. Read, read, uh, turn with me to Psalm chapter 37. Look at what it says in there. This is a do not fret chapter. Uh, if, you, if you find yourself getting mad a lot or staying mad a lot, uh, or because you're frustrated with somebody and you just want to control the situation, read this twice and call me in the morning. No, it's, take, take two Psalm 37s. Um, it's, it's, it says, do not fret because of evildoers. And then, and then it goes on, and in verse 7 it says, it says this, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath, do not fret, it only leads to evil doing. Let me tell you something that's very valuable for you to remember. You don't have to fight against evildoers. If people are really doing evil, they'll take themselves out. Evil always ends up sabotaging itself. It doesn't take your intervention a lot of times. I mean, if you, if you need to protect yours, then you've got to protect yours. But you don't have to try to take evildoers down, they will take themselves down. The, the universe is wired for that. The universe is wired for that. And so it says, for evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. And yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Wicked plots against the righteous, uh, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. But the Lord laughs, for he sees his day coming. You see, there's a transcendence in joy that says, not a deal. 
Not a deal. We're going to work our way through this. Sometimes it's not people that bug you. It's circumstances because it never seems to you that you get to the end of, your, of the list. You know, the world just seems overwhelming. And you, you feel yourself start to get kind of mad at life because you say, does this ever end? And then you realize the answer is, mm-mm. It doesn't. That's the difference between the world and heaven. The bad stuff doesn't end up here. The good stuff doesn't end up there. That's the difference. But even with that, you've got to have a sense of humor. Turn with me for a second to John chapter 2, where Jesus was at a party. He was partying with his mom there. I don't know how many of you go to parties with your mom there. Probably more of you should. (laughs) And it's a wedding feast. It's his first miracle. It says, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited, and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, you know, I love how the Bible just says, something always goes wrong. If it's not one thing, it's another. There's a party going up, the wine runs out. Isn't it always something? And when the wine ran out, I love this, the mother of Jesus said to him, now Jesus is 30 years old. And his mom is still coming to him and say, fix it. And so the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And just looks at him. Now you've got, you, you, you've got to understand Jesus' response. Because it's one of humor. And if you don't get the humor in this, you'll think he's sassing his mom. Jesus never sassed his mom. He loved his mom. And this is what, he, this is what Jesus says. He says, woman... <laughs> What have I to do with you? My hour has not yet come. Now, what he's saying is, look, I'm, I'm to go through this huge tribulation. And you're, tra- you're putting me to work already. You're troubling me already. And it's, it's, just, kind of a, it's just kind of a deal. It's kind of a, it's kind, he's saying it with a smile. And then he goes and makes the wine. Now, the point of this is that even when there were duties, when you didn't expect them, that, that he treated it with humor. He didn't, feel over, he didn't feel overwhelmed. He didn't feel, oh, man, we're at a party. Can't I even rest at a party? Now, you, all of us have this thing that it just keeps coming, and you've got to develop a sense of humor about it all, or it'll take you down. I heard the other day, I read the other day, the, uh, listen to this. This is unimaginable to me. The Greek national anthem has 158 verses to it. <laughs> who can sing? Who can sing? No one in Greece knows all 158. But but the point is that even the even the national anthem is 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 unsingable because it's too stinking long. Well, that's kind of life. It just says 158 verses, and then there's 158 more, and you just got to get used to it. And the point is, you're going to fight against it, you're going to fret about it, or you're going to have humor about it. You're going you got to fight against it, you're going to run from it, or you're going to be flexible about it. You see, this. This joy that Jesus gave us. And he said, I came that your joy might be full. So many people just kind of run on empty the whole time. I mean, you just kind of, uh, 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 you know, unless somebody makes a joke, you haven't got any there. Um, but, but there's a fullness and there's a depth to our joy. And let's talk about that now. Not just the benefits, uh, but the, the reasons for our joy, the difference in our joy. We have a joy that's different than, than the world's. The, the majority world has buttons that they can push and make you laugh. But those don't really fill you up. 
Those just give you relief. And there is a tremendous difference between relief and redemption. Between relief and reassurance. Between escape and relationship. And let me talk to you for a minute about the difference. In the world, there is amusement. Now, the derivative of that word, the etymology of that word, comes from uh, um, a, a word that means literally without thinking. A means, is the prefix that means without, and muse means to think. So amusement literally means to not think, to just feel. Now, there is a certain attraction in this world when we are burdened to just go to a place where we can blow it off and not think. But we've got to realize that there's a certain emptiness to that. There's a certain non-filling in that. That gives us relief, but it also gives us great emptiness. Um, Neil Postman, several years ago, wrote a book with the title, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in the prefix of that book's book, he juxtaposes two predictions of the future of America. One is Orwell's 1984. Most of you read that when you were in school. And the other is Huxley's A Brave New World. They had radically different visions of the future. Orwell had a vision of the future that we would be controlled by Big Brother. Um, and that um, the information that we had would be uh, limited. And therefore, um, our control would be, would be uh, because we did not have enough information. Huxley, on the other hand, had a vision of the future where we would not have a limitation of information, but that we would have so much information we couldn't sort it out. Orwell had a picture of the future that we would be controlled by being inflicted with pain. Huxley had a picture of the future that we would be controlled with the, inf the, the disorientation of pleasure. Orwell said, let's uh, uh, count on somebody making information hard to come by. Huxley said, let's count on somebody giving us so much information that we don't know what's relevant anymore. And then he summed up the preface by saying, I wonder if Huxley wasn't right. You tell me. We live in a land that has amusements at every turn. At the click of, of a computer, at, 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 the, at, the, at, the, at the click of a dial, uh, there are amusements, things to take our minds off things. Somebody emailed me a, a, an illustration this week along the line of uh, C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters about a devil talking, the devil talking with his demons about their strategy for decreasing the effectiveness of Christianity in the world. And he said this, let's not try to make Christians not believe in God. They already do. Let's, let's not try to make Christians um, uh, not believe that the answer 
uh, to all of life is found in Scripture. They already do. So therefore, our strategy has to be to keep them so busy and so distracted that they won't pay attention either to God or Scripture. He said, let's tempt them every time they get in the car to automatically turn on the radio so that they're not thinking of anything of significance. Let's tempt them every time they walk in a room to click on the TV so that they're not building relationships or thinking of anything profound, of what really matters in life. Let's, let's, let's make sure that every time they go to the mailbox, they are flooded with offers of a new bargain so that they are placing their hope in products from a catalog or discounts from a service. You know, one of the, one of the things that fascinates me uh, was what was advertised this week about the winners of the Powerball thing. Uh, these, these folks who work at a factory in Ohio or wherever they work. And, and the thing that really fascinates me about that is why people continue to buy tickets to the lottery given the chances they're going to win. This is, somebody told me that lotteries are a tax on the mathematically challenged. <laughs> Think of this for a moment. When you buy tickets, when they bought the, for this, this Powerball thing, they bought tickets. People bought hundreds of thousands of people bought tickets. You had the chance of winning in this Powerball thing, the same chance as getting hit with lightning 14 times in one year. That's, that's the chances you had of winning. Why do we continue to do this? Well, there are a couple of reasons. First of all, because the only thing that's advertised are the winners. You don't see advertised the hundreds of thousands of people who are placing their hopes on that empty chance of winning and literally spending the resources their family needs to live in order to take a chance on something so abundant they couldn't possibly take advantage of it. Secondly, we have been so conditioned in this society to place our hopes in the emptiness of a manufactured entertainment that we miss the only real, sure, unfailing prize there is. Why would we not place our hopes in Jesus Christ, who never fails, whose, whose abundance never ends, and who gives us that abundance absolutely free? It makes no sense, but yet that's how we're conditioned, because we are a society that is entertained with amusements. Let me give you the other side that God gives us. The other side is to realize that entertainment is legitimate when it is for the purposes of, of celebrating what God has given us with those that God has given us. Let me give you one example. Next year, when we talk about worship, we're going to be explaining in detail the seven feasts of the Old Testament, seven feasts of Israel. The, the, the festivals that God gave those folks, the feasts that God gave uh, those people, in order to do two things. 
There was, of course, the, the, the feast of the Passover, the feast of the unleavened bread, uh, feast of the first fruits, and so on and so forth. Two things were accomplished in those celebrations, in those times of merriment. One, people gathered together recognizing the goodness and the provision of God. And they realized they had a covenant family, a family that was not of their own doing, but a family that was of the provision of God. And that gave them joy. And they celebrated those relationships. But the other reason was that it gave them a premonition of something even greater God had in store for them. You see, what we will learn next year in detail is that every one of those feasts exactly corresponded to a major redeeming event in the life of Jesus Christ. Every one of them was a premonition of what would happen in the life of the Messiah. So the feast was not only commemorative of a resource that God had given. It was a foretaste of a greater resource God would give. And when we take communion together, that's exactly what communion is. It's not only celebrating the grace and the salvation of God. It is celebrating the banquet that's going to happen. And so that is our merriment. That is the basis for our merriment. And when you get right down to it, when you say, how can we even have this provision? Think of the character of God for a moment. If you want to see the deepest roots for your joy, the deepest causes for your joy, consider what God has done for you. I remembered a story um, a long time ago. My grandfather, Pop, um, by the way, if you haven't heard yet, and there's no reason you would, I became a grandfather for the first time this week. Um, Parents are sitting right over here, Josh and Lisa, and hopefully uh, after service they'll be, go, be able to go pick up Noah Joel. And uh, uh, he's, he was born about a month early, so it's kind of touch and go there for a little bit. But uh, God's been gracious to both mama and boy. Um, and, uh, and gosh, what an experience this is. So I'm a pop now. Uh, when, whenever, if you ever wonder what you call, what call, what to call me, if you see me in church, because you're not a reverend and doctor, and or first name may be too familiar or whatever, just call me Pop. I'll never be, I'll never be uh, insulted by that. Because let me tell you why. To, in our family, Pop was not just a person; he was a it was a title, it was a function. Some of you are a Pop, are a Pop, um, and and Pop in our family was the strongest. He was the anchor, and Pop was the guy who you could always count on for two things. He, you could always count on him to be for you. Always. You could al he, he seldom intervened. Now, sometimes he did, but seldom personally intervened. But as long as Pop was around, nothing too bad happened. You know, he, he, he generally protected, made sure everything was kind of generally running all right. That's what I want to be for Noah, and that's what I want to be for the church. But... The analogy here is that this man, who I saw as the strongest male figure of my life, the only time I ever saw him close to tears, unlike me, I cry all the time now, but, unlike, but, but, but the only time I ever saw this man, and this guy had gone through 
horribly rough times trying to support a family in the depression and 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 just I mean just had some rough times in his life and he was always just an anchor of strength but one day I remember taking I was a, a, I carved wood when I was uh, in middle school wasn't very good at it uh, in early high school but it was just something I got into and one try one one day I, I decided I was going to make a carving out of balsa wood uh, some of you know what balsa wood is it's a very light very fragile kind of wood but it's not hard to carve it's just hard not to break. And so I, I had really worked on this thing, and, and, um, and there was still a piece kind of sticking out there. Pop was a carpenter. and I mean, he was a veterinarian as a, as a trade, but he, but he had a little wood shop in the basement. So I was over at his house, and I said, Pop, instead of me doing all this carving to get this thing off here, would you just take it down with your bandsaw and just cut the thing off? And Pop said, sure, I'd be glad to do that, Joey. So he went downstairs into the basement, and he was down there for a pretty significant period of time and he came back and for the first time I ever saw this he had tears in his eyes and he had my my carving in two pieces and he said Joey I broke it and I looked at him I said pop it's okay and he said no Joey it's not and he had this these eyes just all welled up with tears and I thought here is the strongest guy I know who is ready to cry because he thought I might be hurt. Do you understand that the, 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 the ruler of the universe has bent low to go through pain so that we wouldn't have to? He gave up his happiness so that we would not have to give up our joy. That's the character of God. That's our joy. That's the reason for our merriment. That's his character. So then what is our ministry of merriment? If that's the cause, then what have we got to do with entertainment? How should we approach it as participants? Well, there should be some guidelines because the world, as I said, offers some substitutes for real entertainment. As a matter of fact, um, Satan has no real uh, offerings of his own, only perversions of what God has made good. And so there are, there are kind of takeoffs or imitations in the world, and, and this is what we need to remember. First of all, you need to remember that if God's goal for our entertainment is to reinforce the relationships he's given us and the hope that he gives us for the future, then the other side's goal or the flesh's goal is just to obtain what will be relieving for the moment but empty in the future. Now, I probably don't need to say this, but I probably should every once in a while just in case uh, you don't think it really matters because when you're out in the world for, for a while, you start to take on that mentality. There are, <clears throat> and I especially want to talk to you guys about this, there are forms of entertainment that simply focus in on your flesh and ruin your spirit. You know that one of those forms is pornography or any form of pornography that would stimulate your flesh but they not only stimulate your flesh as, as, a, as, a, as a thing apart from your spirit, but they also impoverish your spirit because they isolate you 
from those relationships God has given you. They make you alone in that amusement. And in doing so, that sabotages real joy for you. And it also draws you to indulge in an industry that is absolutely vile and ruins thousands of lives. Pornography, or even those movies that are made specifically called for soft porn or even tasteful nude, whatever, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what the deal is. But you know what the deal is. You know what stimulates your flesh and not your spirit. What does not draw you to your family, but draws you to yourself. And I want to say to you, all of you, whether it's that or whether it's forms of, of, of uh, materialism or whether it's forms of, of, of simple um, distraction, that is to your detriment and ultimately to your emptiness. Do not participate. Instead, find those forms of entertainment that will increase your relationships with other people, will increase your participation, will increase your closeness to God. That is very important because that is the kind that will always fill you up and remind you of the joy that God has provided for you and the blessings that God has provided for you. Don't go to movies that, that, that make you cynical. And that make you disregard people. Go to movies that make you inspired to be heroic and to serve people. Um, um, let me give you a, a, just a metaphor of this. When I was, in, when I was in going into college, I made a, one of the biggest mistakes of my life. Now, let me stop here and say, sometimes we use the word mistake for sin and sin for mistake. Please don't mix up those two words. I've heard people who didn't want to admit that they sinned and said, I made a mistake. No, you sinned. When you do something against God, it's a sin. And you just got to confess it, and you got to be forgiven, and you got to repent, but it's not a mistake, it's a sin. It's against God. By the same token, there are things that are mistakes that aren't sins. They were just stupid. And you call yourself an idiot, and you go on. All right? So don't get those two terms mixed up. This was a mistake, but it was a mistake having to do with entertainment. And, and, and I think in, meta, in a metaphorical sense, it's something that, that all of us can ask ourselves as we go on. When I um, graduated, or no, the Christmas before I went to college, my mom bought me a tape recorder. And all of my family was gathered at a, at a party. And so I had a tape, I had the tape recorder, and I went, on, went around and interviewed every one of them. And, and on that tape, I had Grand's voice. You know, I've told you about my grandmother, my Methodist grandmother. And, 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 I, and, and I had Pop's voice. And I had uh, my Aunt Maud's voice. I've told you about my army nurse, Aunt Maud. And I, and, and I had my Uncle Harry's voice. Oh, weird Uncle Harry. I've told you about him. He said everything four times. And I had him on tape saying something four times, four times. <laughs> and again, and again, and again, and again. I mean, he just said all, four times, everything. It was just weird. And all, all of my, my extended family, um, who are now dead, I had a recording of them all. When I went to college, I was listening, this is the late 60s, and I was listening to uh, 
um, a song on the radio that I liked, and I, and, I, and I wanted a recording of it. And I looked around, and I didn't have any cassettes but that one. And in an instant, I said, eh, you know. And I plugged it in, and I taped over all those voices to record a song that now I don't even remember. Do you know what I would give to have those voices back now? Could I say this to you? Every time we indulge in entertainment that is shallow and of the world and that makes us forget those we love and draws us away from the God we serve, we're taping over what really matters and substituting that which will never last. Don't do that. Indulge in those forms of merriment that really draw you to what is really valuable. And if you're going to be flip about something, be flip about the stuff that, that separates you. Be flip about the stuff that, that could get in the way of your relationships with, with one another that really shouldn't. Be flip about the, the, the goofy stuff that we count so important that it really isn't. I heard a story, and I'll, I'll close. I realize it's getting late, but, but I, I love this story. Story about denominations. Now, first of all, let me tell you, I'm very, I'm, I think denominations are wonderful because they all bring something different to the table. But it's when we start to think that denominations are the deal that we get into trouble. And I, and I heard this story one time, and I keep switching around the denominations so that nobody's permanently uh, um, um, insulted. But there was this meeting, uh, let's say, and a Presbyterian was, was leading it. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, he was really proud of being a Presbyterian, you know. And, so, and it's kind of like a revival kind of thing. And he's trying to get the crowd fired up. And he goes, all right, all right. How many of us here are Presbyterians? And practically everybody in the congregation raised their hands. Everybody but this one little lady, like sitting in the middle. And he kind of spotted her, you know. And he was going to, he was trying to get, <laughs> trying to go for the whole deal. And, and he says, okay. Who here is who is not a Presbyterian? And the lady kind of raises her hand. And he just barrels in on her. He says, so what are you? She goes, uh, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I'm a Methodist. And he says, oh, really? You guess you're a Methodist? What makes you a Methodist? He goes, she goes, well, I, I don't know. She said, all oh, my family was Methodist. And like my, my late husband was Methodist. So I guess, I guess that makes me a Methodist. He looked at her and says, what if your whole family was morons? What would that make you? <laughs> she looks at him and says, Presbyterian? <laughs> you know, you know, if we're going to be flip about stuff, let's, let's just do away with the stuff that really doesn't matter very much. I mean, it, it, it should never divide us should never divide us because there is a joy we have. All of us have together and all of us have who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's something that is in our heart. That's a life that makes us buoyant and resilient out of any oppressive circumstance. My favorite poet, Emily Dickinson, wrote this about Jesus, obtaining but his own extent in whatsoever realm. T'was Jesus' 
own expense that bore him from the tomb. Let me say that again. Obtaining but his own extent in whatsoever realm, t'was Jesus' own expanse that bore him from the tomb. Do you feel trapped? Do you feel dead? You never are as long as the life of Christ is in your heart. That'll take you out of any tomb. That'll take you out of any oppression. And that's why we can grin. Pray with me. God, thanks for the cause of our joy, not just for the benefits of our joy, not that we can laugh and probably have more cause for laughter than anybody on the face of the earth, but thanks that you have given us this buoyancy that, that is uh, not respective of hard circumstances or obstinate people. Help us, dear Jesus, to share that joy, to share the joy that can only come from Christ who lives in our heart. We pray in his name. Amen.